there's you know there's like totally the scene where like the the little girl in brave like trips on mushrooms right i i think there are flowers in both movies <laughs> there's greenery possibly hey, i'll watch that movie for florence Pugh and for you <laughs> thank you not in that order um Welcome to Blind Spotters, a movie podcast about the movies we've missed. I'm Zach Pocklip. And I'm Amanda Luberto. And today we're doing a movie swap. I watched Inside Out for the first time. And Amanda, what did you watch? I watched How to Train Your Dragon. We're doing a little bit of animation for Animation. May. <laughs> Getting in touch with our inner children, even though we're still feel like a child these days. But um, we can get into that because we're going to get existential. We're such children that it's our first birthday. This is our birthday episode. I think it's very on brand that you were the one to note that it was our birthday and I immediately forgot. I love a birthday. Does anyone know that? Um. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't listened to the Gone Girl and Bonnie and Clyde pod, uh, go back to that one and then follow the orders that were given on that podcast episode. Yeah. One year of Blind Spotters. Congrats, friend. Good job by us. What a fun time we've been having. Thank you, listeners, for coming along, enjoying it with us. Send Blind Spotters a birthday present by following us on Instagram and Twitter. We've watched a good chunk of movies. We only just started kind of really keeping track of how many pods and movies we've been doing. And I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's been fun. We've been swapping and we're going to continue swapping for as long as honestly we want to it doesn't matter what the listeners feel like because this is just for us i basically am talking to the ether at zach which is <laughs> i guess friendship christ uh how are you doing <laughs> what you been watching doing good um if i am thinking about the calendar correctly we're about to see each other in person oh yeah a couple days from when this episode drops and then we're gonna see Phoebe Bridgers, and then we're going to hang out, and it's going to be so much fun. Hell yeah. Vegas, watch out. Phoebe, see you soon. Can't wait. I know you listen to the pod. Big and fan. Can't wait to see you. She was our first Instagram follow. That is a fact. Sorry. Was she really? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you meant you followed her. No, no, no. <laughs> I meant she followed us. Neither are true. <laughs> Could you imagine? That would be awesome. <laughs> well, Phoebe, we'll do Punisher, the movie, just for you. Yeah. Phoebes, this isn't the last time you're in this episode, so hold on to your hat. That's called a tease. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but to the matter at hand, uh, what have you been watching? How you been doing? I'm doing good. Things are good over here. Um, I've sort of been in like a weird viewing funk. I think it's because I haven't had any time to go to the theaters in the last couple of weeks. And there's so many good movies out right now. But the Severance season finale is tomorrow. And I am Ooh. so excited. I'm so locked in. And then I've watched two movies recently that kind of stuck with me. I watched Jane Campion's In the Cut. Um, that's a porn. That's the sexiest movie <laughs> I've ever seen. Well, congrats to you because I know Mark Ruffalo's in that. Mark Ruffalo and Meg Ryan are just being really sexy trying to solve a crime like the whole time. That's good for them. Did I make that up in a lab? Like, what is that's incredible. Great film it's on Netflix. And then I watched a true crime documentary staple for the first time called There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. I thought it was okay. 
I wasn't that impressed with it. And I like finished it and I was like, that's it. I think this family just needs to accept that like something bad happened and then they need to move on. I know, but I did, I did watch it. I get my like true crime credit by like finally checking that one off the list, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. How are you? How have you been? What have you been watching? I'm good. I have my nights and weekends back since March Madness has finished. Nice. Um, Congrats. Shout out to the Kansas Jayhawks and Remy Martin. Go Devils. I've been watching a bevy of movies. I went back to the theater, saw Lost City, which was, I'm glad that movie exists. I'm glad there's a stupid studio comedy with hot people being hot. And I'm so glad that Daniel Radcliffe is okay. Hell yeah, I agree. I haven't even seen it, and I co-sign on all of that. I love that every time I see Daniel Radcliffe show up in a movie, it's, it, every film is just like, hey, here's Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> and I'm, I'm specifically thinking about Lost City, and now you see me too. Um, anyway, so I've been watching, um, I've gotten into watching pre-code movies. I only just recently learned what pre-code means. Can you ex- explain to the audience? Yeah, in like layman's terms, in like the 20s, 30s, it was like Hollywood kind of doing whatever they want. A lot of risque movies. They're being, you know, edgy. They were just having sex. They're having fun. And then uh, in like 1930, but not enforced until 1934, uh, the Hayes Code or the Motion Picture Production Code um, was implemented. And it, a lot of like ridiculous rules. Like one of them is like if a man and a woman are on the couch kissing. One of them has to have their foot on the ground because, you know, you can't have sex with a foot on the ground. Just a lot of stuff to make movies more um, appealing and family friendly. And this came with a like religious base to it. It's super weird and interesting. And like the way it's ingratiated in American history um, kind of shows a lot. But pre-code Hollywood was like a brief period when sound pictures started from like 29 until about 34 it's so you see so barbara stanwick is like one of the big stars of pre-code movies and so i've been watching movies like night nurse and Babyface, and it's fun the thin man is a pre-code movie as well nice so it's like drinking sex who gives a fuck um that's been pretty fun and also a lot of them are like 90 minutes or shorter i also watched peter bogdanovich's they all laughed an ode to new york Love Letter to Manhattan. Shout out to Audrey Hepburn, her second to last movie. And then I also watched Clouds of Sils Maria, starring Kristen Stewart and Juliette Binoche. And that's just a lovely movie. Um, would recommend. Maybe we'll do it on the pod. Case Shout out to Stu. Kristen Stewart. We're big Case Stu fans here. Big Case Stu fans. Also, I just wanted to acknowledge that on our last swap episode, I predicted that I'd be watching Will Smith's speech a lot, and I could not have predicted that I'd be watching what I watched. Um, yes. That's all we need to say about that. I did see that in the notes, and I was like, we did watch that speech, Zach. You are correct. And Coda won Best Picture. Congrats to you. Congrats you. to them. Congrats to Troy Kotzer. Incredible. All around. If you have Coda hot takes, keep them. I'm good. I got enough of them. I don't really want to hear them. Your opinion is valid, and it's meant to be kept to yourself. <laughs> you know what? Shout out to Coda for being a movie that makes you feel all the emotions, and also movies that make us feel all the emotions from joy to sadness to feeling like we have spread our wings and are flying across the Nordic area of the Earth that really fell apart. Just acceptance from our parents. 
just all around. Yes. So fathers and sons and, and and mothers and daughters. All of them. It's so good. So the movies we're watching, we want to do a little fun animation, but of course we want to do some some movies that are legitimately good works of like cinema and art and are also animated and fun. So I gave Zach Inside Out, one of my favorite Disney Pixar movies. I think one of the best animated films that's come out in a really, really, really long time. And Zach gave me How to Train Your Dragon, which is a DreamWorks production. And I was really excited. I I knew people loved this movie and I just missed it. I don't know if it's just I I don't know if it's just because I didn't have any like kids around, but I just happened to miss it and now it's off my blind spot, so I'm excited. Yeah, I think there's a period of time whenever you start to grow up that you just start to miss the animated movies. Like you just don't have the same urgency and or your parents aren't picking those movies to go bond with you at the theater. And these are a couple of them. And I'm happy that we're getting to go animated. We're getting animated. animated. All right, let's do a coin flip. All right, call it. Tails. Tails. I feel like you're on a streak. What movie are we discussing first? Let's do How to Train Your Dragon. All right, let's do it. Amanda. Some places have pests. Here, we have dragons. You watched How to Train Your Dragon. I did. It was really nice. All right. So here is what happened in How to Train Your Dragon. Hiccup is the only Viking in his Viking town that isn't good at and doesn't want to kill dragons that are overruling this village that they live in. But he does want to impress his father, Stoic, who is the head of their Viking tribe, and he is sort of like the chief dragon slayer. One night during a big battle, he knocks down the impenetrable Night Fury. This is Hiccup. Hiccup goes searching for the dragon so he can kill it and impress his father, but finds he cannot and he sets it free instead. It was a very sweet moment. Stoic and the other members of the tribe go on an expedition to find the dragon's nest so that they can solve this problem once and for all, while the children stay behind and learn how to become dragon slayers. Hiccup is failing at the training, so he goes to the forest where he finds that his dragon friend hasn't flown away. This is when he realizes that the dragon has a broken tail and cannot fly. He befriends the dragon and he names him Toothless because of his retractable teeth. So cute. Hiccup is sort of like an inventor and an artist and like a blacksmith more than a killer. So Hiccup goes on to make Toothless a prosthetic tail so he can learn to fly again, which is the cutest sentence ever. Uh, He then trains his dragon while also learning how to defeat the dragons in dragon training without hurting them. Stoic arrives back home and is pleased to hear that his son is seemingly this big ultimate dragon slayer. Once after practice, Astrid, the girl who Hiccup has a crush on, follows him into the forest and is caught with his buddy Toothless. Astrid is like a big dragon slayer girl. That's like all she wants to do. But he convinces her to not kill Toothless and they sort of become friends as well. Now Hiccup has to fight in the big dragon battle of his training, but is losing, getting his ass kicked. So Toothless escapes and saves him. And this is like when the whole town finds out that he's been keeping this dragon. This is when Stoic finds out that his son is also a fraud and he tries to use Toothless to help them find the nest. So they are like the captured Toothless and they're using him now. Hiccup is obviously very sad about this because he literally lost his pet and his friend, but Astrid convinces him to teach the other teens how to train the other dragons so they can all fly to the nest, save Toothless, and save the Vikings because they are way in over their head because there's a big dragon that lives in the nest and the Vikings don't know. 
The Vikings are getting their asses handed to them, so Hiccup frees Toothless from his, like, captivity, and they battle the big dragon to save the day. In a moment where we think Hiccup is dead in the final battle, Toothless reveals that he has saved him. Stoic has changed his mind about dragons after one has saved his son, and they go on to eventually all coexist together in the village. How was that? Beautiful. Thank you. Animated movies, most of the time, pretty straightforward. Yeah, it was great. So, uh, (laughs) no, I had a great time. So why did you pick this movie for me to watch? So this is debatably the best movie to come from DreamWorks. Um, Huge surprise hit, spawned a franchise, and just a rock-solid fantasy adventure movie. Also, great SEO, How to Train Your Dragon. I mean, we're two people that work on the web, and you can't ask for better than that. Yeah. Animated movies often trend toward Disney, Pixar. We're we're talking about one today, but I figured, hey, let's switch it up, give another studio some love, and DreamWorks being the other dominant animation studio in America, I figured, why not pick the best one? Do you think that this movie is better than Shrek? So this is going to get me annihilated, but I don't like Shrek. Oh, that's a bad take. That's okay. We can move on. <laughs> so so Shrek was the movie in elementary school and middle school and high school that every time a teacher was like, hey, what movie do you want to watch? And the class always picked Shrek and I could not give less of a shit. Anyway, so you said it, uh, you alluded to some of the uh, things you liked about it, but what were your first impressions? What stood out to you on that first watch? The animation style is really, really cool. I realized like halfway through, it's sort of like a like a video game. And maybe it's just because like we're so used to watching Disney Pixar movies, which like now all sort of look exactly the same, that this animation style really stood out to me. But I really liked the way um, all of like the movements were. I was reading more into this. And this is when like, so this movie came out in 2010. And this is when like every animated film was in 3D for kids. And uh, they were facing like a lot of congestion within the industry. And DreamWorks was actually like, they had pushed this movie back because there was art, there was like too many 3D kid animated movies coming out at one time. And they like weren't going to be able to stand up against the rest of them. So they actually just made it a 2D movie with a 3d design um and then later on like once it was popular they released like a 3d version um so there's like a dimensionality to it that is really different than a lot of the other movies and i think that's uh because it was originally made to be in three dimensions uh which i thought was really cool so that has super stuck out to me yeah i feel like you know the whole like disney face is such a thing um, I do feel like DreamWorks animation has a particular style, especially in the 2010s, you know, like whether it's like Kung Fu Panda or like the Croods movies, uh, and they kind of have a style of humor as well. And um, it didn't start with How to Train Your Dragon, but um, it did seem like a nice transition point out of like Madagascar and like the B movie and like the 18th Shrek movie. Um, so that's well taken. Yeah. So... There's no way I can not. This is the main point. This is the main point. This is the whole thing. I like literally called my sister today when we were talking about it. (laughs) The fact that they based the dragons off of cats is unreal. I had like really this blindsided me and I don't know why. I just think it's probably because I didn't know anything about this movie really. But holy hell. (laughs) Even the like uh, subtitles are like toothless purrs. 
<laughs> and like this other dragon like grumbles and I'm like, oh. if for some reason you're listening to this and don't know, Amanda, big cat person, big cat lady. And I have my own big black cat. So it was like, oh, my God, that's my baby. And it was really fun. Uh, so that was really, really sweet. And I have always known that like toothless based on this movie was like a really popular name for black cats. But I was like, yeah, I don't know. It's like a popular character that is also a black creature. I had no idea like that. This is like, I completely understand. Like I will, I would probably have done the same thing. So, so cute. I love it. Like it goes on its stomach and the way it like pounces, like, and, and I was like reading about it. Like they did try to shape it off of like, um, Panthers was like the the oh. the stylization of the um, animation for Toothless originally, and then they filled it in with like really expressive eyes and ears and like a tail. But like the body of all the animation for Toothless is designed off of a panther, so it really is like truly based off of cats, which is the best. <laughs> I really feel like the DreamWorks team was like, oh, let's do every single cutest thing possible it's like the baby yoda thing or it's like we know what we have yeah we know it we know it let's give the people what they don't know they want until they see this movie and man the first time toothless does it's like toothless grin <laughs> it's unreal. adorable so cute it's, so cute it's precious i was gonna ask this like in questions but like toothless is automatically in like the pantheon level of cute creatures in a movie right it has to be i'm blanking right now just because like i'm so in this world at the moment but yeah it's got to be up there i think it's really cute (laughs) i like may or may not have googled like toothless plush animals like the moment i finished i was like am i am i gonna enter my 27th year of life as a as an adult who now is going to collect plushies i'm like there's worse things to be i guess that's the cuddliest looking reptile based creature i've ever seen i love him i did immediately scoop up my cat and give him like six thousand head kisses what else did i tell you I'm going to do one more and then I'm going to go to one more cat comment and then we'll be done with cat comments, I promise. (laughs) Another thing that really stood out to me, aside from like the animation style, is just the visuals in general. There's a lot of really good like hashtag shots in this movie. One Perfect Shot is like always tweeting out stuff about this movie. And this is because the directors went and reached out to Roger Deakins, who often works with the Coen brothers. And he is was like a visual consultant on the film and is actually credited as the cinematographer. And so like he was a cinematographer on a completely computer generated movie, which is really cool. So uh, he was a visual consultant that helped them with like lighting and the overall like look of the film so that it could add like a live action feel to it to make it as like realistic looking as possible and in an animated film, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And you know what? He does this like semi often. So the other one that comes to mind as far as an animated movie that he consulted on is Rango, Mm. um, which is another movie that does not really make sense of like why it looks so good. But it's because he they consulted with Roger Deakins. And I think it's charming and almost hilarious that Roger Deakins is just like, you know what I'm going to do with my time? Help make sure that How to Train Your Dragon and Rango are obeying like the lighting rules and that there's a good mixture of shots in these animated movies, uh, which I completely respect. We love Roger Deakins. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, my last uh, cat comment is that the scene where Hiccup is trying to put the prosthetic tail on Toothless is exactly what it's like to try to trim Jasper's nails. Uh, <laughs> where you're like trying to distract him and you're like, don't look over here, look over there. And then you like have to just eventually like grab the thing and just start going at it. And you're still going to get hurt. Like he's absolutely going to attack you still. Um, but it, you, you try your best. <laughs> Yeah, so other than the fact that you would risk it all for Toothless, um, what have you thought about the most about this movie? The cast is perfect. The, there's not too many characters. <laughs> uh, I love that like David Tennant just fills in for like general village people sounds. <laughs> like, I think that's so funny. Um, but Jay Burrichell plays Hiccup, and it is instantly recognizable if you've ever seen any of his films. Uh, yeah, it's a very idio- idiosyncratic voice performance yeah it's it's perfect uh gerard butler plays the dad stoic craig ferguson uh plays the like dragon trainer america ferrera plays astrid the girl that uh is going to become a dragon slayer and has a he has a crush on uh jonah hill and christopher mintzplas who if you don't know is also mclovin play like a buddy team (laughs) and so just the two of them like off of each other it's literally so funny jonah hill is like his voice is instantly recognizable as well so so funny and then tj miller before all the scandals about him came out and Kristen wig are also playing like a, a buddy team um and they're really funny together too so one of the other things i read was that uh for these last ones the jonah hill christopher mintz tj miller and Kristen wig a lot of their scenes they had all four of them come in together because they're all comedians and did a lot of the uh, scripting was improv between the four of them, which I think is that makes sense. Perfect. That's like how you have to do it when you have that many talented comedians in like a cast of seven. Again, it always comes back to Jonah Hill for the listeners. This is a Adam driver girls, Jonah Hill podcast. Yes. For those uh, following along at home. (laughs) I honestly, I I love, yeah, the cast is great. It's also very distinctive. I feel like sometimes with animated movies, it's like, who is that voice? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. it's more anonymous, but um, especially with DreamWorks animated movies, I feel like they do go for the, the big stars. It's like a bunch of like, Oh, all these people are voicing this movie type of uh, approach to it. Mm -hmm. And this goes for all animated movies. I just love the behind the scenes video that come out because it's always like a movie star in sweatpants acting very aggressively because they're just doing their voice and uh would love to have sat in on those like improv sessions with those people i'm sure the people in the booth were absolutely rolling especially like 2010 like i would take any of these people any day but like 2010 that's like that's like the perfect era for all of them so that may like yeah I feel like with uh, with animated movies the voice cast is the thing that has to stand like how it looks and how it sounds is so critical with animated movies but after you watched it what was like the first thing you might have looked up about it so I just wanted to like generally read more about it again I I didn't know a lot about this movie this movie came out when we were in high school and it was like mm-hmm. you either were all in on animated movies still or you were like i know i'm growing up i'm cool like and of course i was the um second because i was an asshole uh but i like (laughs) completely shut this movie out also i think like my sister was probably too old to be watching like this movie wasn't really like uh 
geared toward her. So I just didn't know anything about it. So I was just looking up general commentary. Um, It's based on a children's book. And the original script was much closer to the book. But it had like a very sweet ending. And like the whole movie was like sort of geared toward a much younger audience than DreamWorks was looking for. Um, And... So they sort of restructured the script to make Toothless sort of like this big fearsome dragon that actually ends up being sweet because in the children's book, he is just sort of like a common dragon, like a like the already known to be sweet dragon. And the, the twist of it being like, oh, this is the biggest, scariest, uncatchable dragon that actually is like your house cat uh is (laughs) is like how they sort of spun it so that it had like a touch more like grit to it for uh maybe a a more mature kid audience yeah and you have to have that little plot twist of like oh my god it's so scary and then it's like oh my god if you get to know it it's not that scary in fact it's the most precious thing on the planet we will kill you if you hurt it Ah, I literally texted Zach. I was like, they're hurting him. And he's like, yes, it's a movie. Honestly, I, I think I've verbatim texted. They always do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what else have you looked up about this movie? So another thing I really liked um, is that the script writers are also the writers from Lilo and Stitch, which is probably my favorite animated film. Um, and I love the script of Lilo and Stitch a lot. And I, I, it made a lot of sense. I was like, oh, yes, I see, like, quippy children who aren't, like, completely eye-rolling. They have, like, <laughs> adult words. I like it. Yeah, Lilo adopts Stitch, a scary monster who turns out to be adorable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I wanted to know, like, critically how it was taken. I know this movie was, like, crazy popular with kids. And I'm mm-hmm. sure like every parent in 2010 had to see this movie like 40 times. But I wanted to know, like, did it get any accolades other than that? And it was actually nominated for two Academy Awards. It was Best Animated Feature and Best Score, but it lost to Toy Story 3 and then like Atticus Ross. <laughs> I, I don't know why I only just thought to bring this up, but I watched this because I was like babysitting my I was spending the summer in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. And so I was spending the summer babysitting my nephew who was three at the time maybe of like this movie being in D- on dvd and so yes we also watched it like 30 40 times um but it's definitely one of those kids movies where you sit down and you're watching it and you're like oh, oh this one's pretty good this is and nice then the last act is happening and you're kind of nervous and you look around and the child you're supposed to be watching is not there and you're like oh god um <laughs> where'd you go <laughs> yeah, and then you and then and then you pause the movie bring them back you're like we have to finish it. the movie <laughs> It was such a surprise hit for DreamWorks. It was such a... Uh, they knew it was a good movie, but like it, it did catch fire. It did make a boatload of money. I think it made something like five, almost $500 million. There's a sequels. There's like animated like television series. It, it sparked a whole franchise. Um, and, and it was Academy Award nominated. I mean, yeah. there it is right there. It, it was nominated for more Academy Awards than Come On, Come On and The French Dispatch. Oh, fucking Christ. <laughs> um, <laughs> but less than Don't Look Up. <laughs> Amanda's look down agenda is, is strong. Honestly, um, it worked. It didn't win anything. So <laughs> <laughs> It was all you, Amanda. They did um, ask me personally. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, do you have any questions about this movie? One thing I thought was really funny as I was watching it is the movie starts with Hiccup doing a voiceover and then you're thrown into this like big Scottish scene. And then by the time you get back to Hiccup, you know, definitely not Scottish. Jay Burchell is Canadian famously. And <laughs> I noted in my first pass through, why are the parents Scottish, but none of the children are <laughs> like none of the children are and all of the parents are. So I honestly never noticed that until like this most recent watch just never crossed my mind. And I looked into it for you. Thank uh, you. It, generally for the fuck of it. Um, they made the kids more relatable. So they gave them like for an American audience. So they gave them uh, an American accent, if you will. Mm-hmm. But also what doesn't make sense is that they are Vikings, but they are Scottish. Yeah. Vikings, not <laughs> not from Scotland. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I don't know. I wasn't around then. I just think it was one of those decisions where it's like, we can't have everybody have a Scottish accent. Um, and again, the relatability part of it uh, is probably something. When did Brave come out? Is this sort of like <laughs> around that same area? Brave came out in 2012. So a okay, so um, really big first. moment for Scotland. I just remember everybody doing that accent. Uh, well, if, if you could change your fate, would you? It's still another, It's a, that's another one I haven't seen. That's understandable, but Brave was, <laughs> Brave capitalized on the wave of momentum for like Scottish accents in animated movies, as well as girls with a uh, bow and arrow. Yes. Shout out to Scotland. Shout out to Andrew Robertson. I think when we do Brave, we could pair it with Midsommar, because then, <laughs> then it's going to be like, the theme can be like, your loved ones have turned into bears. <laughs> I'm sure I mean, Brave and Midsommar have something in common besides that. I, honestly, I don't think so. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, is there anything else you you had questions about? Um, I just like, I don't know enough kids, basically. And I want to know, like, <laughs> I mean, how would I? Um, That's fair. You are an older sibling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I want to know, like, where this ranks in the pantheon of, like, children's movies for, like, today's, like, I don't know, I guess they're, like, preteens now. Um, today's youth. Yeah, just generally today's youth. Obviously, we know, like, kids are obsessed with Disney movies with, like, Coco and Frozen and, I don't know, Frozen 2. I can't, I don't know any other ones. But um, but I want to know, like, sort of where does this sit for for all those kids? Um, That's a great question. Famously, I also don't have any kids but uh i am a youngest sibling and so i did text a couple of my siblings and asked where this movie sits and i mean how much of an answer are you going to get out of a 15 year old more than like yeah i liked it um <laughs> that's good i'll take it <laughs> but i, I don't like anything so i'll take it <laughs> from the parents that i have heard talk about these things uh i feel like most animated movies fall into one of two categories one is oh we gotta watch that movie again and it was actually pretty good. If any parents listen to the pod, um, let us know. Uh, ask your kids what they think. Um, listen to their emotions. That's not this movie, but um, you know, we'll, listen to what their dreams are. We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Every boy wants to ride a dragon. I'm sure every girl wants to ride a dragon too. Uh, Astrid was the best one of them, to be honest. The most 2010s thing about this movie is that they make the girl awesome and then give her nothing to do. I think the most 2010s thing about this movie is that McLovin is in it, but I will also, <laughs> I will also take that take. <laughs> I remember when the third one came out, um, The Hidden World, in 2019, 
uh, it was I saw I saw rumblings, aka tweets, of it getting similar like Toy Story three vibes of like, wow, so sad. Um, what a conclusion to this franchise. But uh, yeah, so it was good enough to make three. Nice. Uh, do you have any questions for me? Do you feel like now you know how to train a dragon? Um, I feel like I own a little dragon. Um, <laughs> and I'm like the only one who can like approach him because <laughs> I know how to handle him. Uh, uh-huh. But so in a way, yes. <laughs> Better dragon trainer, Hiccup or Daenerys Targaryen? Definitely Hiccup. Yeah. Daenerys locked them in a cave for a while. And lost one of them. Yeah, I would say actually aggressively bad dragon trainer, Daenerys Targaryen. And then lastly, do you have any interest at all in watching the sequels? Um, I would watch the sequels if they if like someone was like, "Do you want to watch How to Train Your Dragon 2?" But generally, I I like more I don't know how to say this. I don't generally like a happy film. <laughs> like it took me a long time to get to this movie just because every time I went to watch it, I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> but the story's great. It's about, you know, a father who has these expectations for his son and then his son finally fulfills his expectations, but he still isn't listening to him. And who among us hasn't felt heard as a child? to our parents yeah no i i'm wrong it's very (laughs) cute um but i don't know if i'm gonna like run out to like see the second one but if someone was like we're gonna watch higher training dragon 2 i'd be like sounds fucking dope i can't wait i think if i ever come to one of your powerpoint parties i'll do why how to train your dragon is better than shrek i think that's a great idea for a powerpoint party to be honest no so lastly as we wrap up here uh would you want to watch it again Probably. It's a really, it's really heartwarming. Um, Famously, love a movie about animated cats. Don't love the movie. (laughs) Don't love the movie Cats. That is not enough animated to be an animated movie about cats. Um, But I mean, the Aristocats is like one of my favorite, like I am homesick films. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I can just add it in. It's very sweet. I will say um, also John Powell's score. Academy nominated, obviously great. Uh, really good. Pretty fun to uh, work to because you just feel like you're going on an adventure. It's nice. It's just a classic adventure score. No, I thought it was really, really sweet. I I liked it. I'm glad I finally got to see it. I'm glad you pushed me to see it. Um, so yeah, thank you. Awesome. We did it. Is it time to get emotional, introspective? Want to go inside out? Let's go inside out after a break. This episode of Blind Spotters is not at all sponsored by Fruits and Roots, but if you're in Las Vegas and looking for real food that tastes real good, Fruits and Roots is the place to go. They serve organic, nutritious food that you'll just feel good about. Hit their drive-thru and get a smoothie, my favorite is the gummy bear, or one of their perfect acai bowls packed with fruit and delicious house-made granola. Fruits and Roots also uses sustainable, eco-friendly packaging for all their products, so it's an all-around guilt-free experience. Check it out, and you'll thank me later.
right, Zach, let's get Inside Out. Tell us the plot of this movie. Inside Out, directed by Pete Docter, written by Pete Docter, Meg Lefauve, and Josh Cooley. This is a Disney Pixar animated joint. So the movie centers on an 11-year-old girl named Riley, the only child of a Minnesota family who is moving to San Francisco. But the twist is it's told from the perspective of her emotions that control her actions in a sort of command center situation called headquarters. Uh, The emotions are joy, voiced by Amy Poehler, sadness, voiced by Phyllis Smith, fear, voiced by Bill Hader, anger, voiced by Louis Black, and disgust, voiced by Mindy Kaling. So when Riley's family moves to San Francisco for her father's new job, things go a little haywire. Her dad's job is pulling him away a lot. Riley has no friends. Their new house is a little weird. The the moving truck is stuck in Texas. Just general stuff that's hard in a big cross-country move. On the first day at school, while Riley introduces herself, Sadness accidentally turns one of the core memories, which are essential to her personality islands, into sadness, and she cries in class, which, you know, tough look for Riley. Nobody wants to cry on the first day. Who amongst us hasn't cried in class? I have not. But also, I was a teenage boy, and as we saw in this movie, teenage boys not really in touch with their emotions. Uh, (laughs) So anyway, Joy tries to get rid of this sad memory via a uh, vacuum tube, but the other core memories get loose. There's a kerfuffle and Joy, along with sadness, gets sucked out of headquarters, leaving fear, anger and disgust to control Riley. And she's not even a teenager yet. This goes horribly and her personality islands such as Goofball Island and Hockey Island start to crumble and wither away. Joy and Sadness attempt to find their way back to headquarters and run into Bing Bong, Riley's imaginary friend, voiced by Richard Kind. From here, they all try to navigate their way to the train of thought, which goes to headquarters, but they struggle as the different islands collapse and Riley's situation gets worse and worse. And then as they fall down, they go into the abyss, which is like the memory dump. At one point, Joy tries to get back to headquarters via a recall tube, But the ground below the tube collapses and Joy and Bing Bong fall into the memory dump with no clear way to get back to Riley, who is falling deeper and deeper into a depressive state. Here, Joy discovers one of the memories was a sad one, but turned happy because of Riley's parents and team noticing how sad she was and then thusly cheering her up and it turning into a joyful memory. And she realizes Sadness's purpose. There was hints of this throughout the movie, but this was the real kicker. Joy is remotivated to get back to HQ and they use Bing Bong's old wagon rocket, but they can only get back when Bing Bong sacrifices himself and jumps off of the wagon at the last second, fading away into distant memory. Meanwhile, Anger gives Riley the bright idea to run back to Minnesota via a bus. And when Joy and Sadness get back to HQ, they realize that the control panel is starting to become disabled, kind of a metaphor for like the depression and apathetic state that Riley is falling into. However, In this moment, Joy hands the controls to Sadness, who takes out the bright idea, reactivates it, and prompts Riley to return home. And because Sadness turns Riley's core memories sad, she finally is able to confide in her parents and they console her. A year later, we see Riley adapted to her new home with friends and a hockey team and stuff, and her core memories are no longer just pure joy, but a healthy balance of all emotions. How did I do? I literally almost cried listening to you. Are we going to cry on mic? I was like, my like Mallory Rubin-ness was like a little overwhelming for a second. <laughs> That's called emotion and, I know. And, and and sadness and joy through sadness and vice versa. It's um, so good. But 
great movie. What a cathartic experience. Why don't you tell me why you picked this movie? This movie is so special to me. Um, I am the first one to admit that I am an overly emotional human being. Um, (laughs) And that's fine. I think it's actually one of my greatest powers. But I feel like it's hard. Like Children don't get a lot of opportunities to feel emotionally validated. And I think that this is such a beautiful like gateway for them to learn how to express themselves but it also like reminds adults that like your emotions come from all these different perspectives and they do as an adult and they do as a child and then we're all just like trying to live our lives and it's a very just like emotionally validating movie for children who are often lacking that sort of validation yeah the different emotions can kind of like be proxies for different parenting styles especially joy you know if you've ever babysat a kid even like who among us hasn't just tried to cheer the kid back up when they're feeling things um but i do think this really humanized these human children um and their emotions which i think is really cool and a bold move from disney yeah i think like something that and i could talk more about it later after we get through like your thoughts but something that i really really love and it stands out to me every single time is that like I love that there's like five core emotions and you see how all of them like working together, create these other bigger emotions. Like it teaches us that anxiety is really just like fear and anger or Mm -hmm. fear and sadness. And that it gets to like the root of how you're feeling when you're having a reaction. And I think that's a lot. That's something like most adults don't know. That's something like I'm learning in my own ways. And just for a Disney Pixar movie to execute it so smoothly while also being like, we want her to be happy on our hockey team. And like, we want her to like make friends and not just be like, here is a movie that's just here to be sad for you. Like Mm -hmm. there are like a (laughs) lot of really nice parts of it as well. I was reading um, an article on brightwell.groom about this movie from Chad Perman. And he was asking his kids, like he sat them down and they watched the movie together since he was writing about it. And they, he was really proud. They took like three pages of notes each and all that stuff. But he asked like what he thought they thought of the movie. And one of the comments was the only emotion that they felt was missing was curiosity, which I'm not sure what the like mixture of emotions would be. And maybe it's like fear, disgust and joy at the same time. I don't know how you like what the formula is for curiosity, but I thought it was kind of cute that that was like the thing. That's really cute. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So like I love that like it is like a highly emotional movie, but there's like so many fun little things that adults yeah. can appreciate about your mind and your memories and your core memories and like your your imaginary friend when you turn 11 like goes into the brain dump but you like vaguely remember the the wagon or like the little jingle or mm-hmm. you know there's always little things um i just it's so well thought out i like it a lot yeah totally so what are some of your first impressions and like what stood out to you immediately joy and sadness's dynamics stressed me the hell out of course knew- it did <laughs> They were diametrically opposed. That's the point. That's the whole point of the movie. Um, But that dynamic, I knew right away, like sadness was going to be annoying. Joy was going to try to cheer her up. And it all just stressed me out to watch people have fundamental disagreements on how to handle something. And, you know, that's how we grow. I thought it was hilarious that Joy has a, like, can I talk to the manager haircut? Like, very Kate plus eight 
haircut, mm-hmm. um, which can be telling. <laughs> um, but I immediately also thought it's an interesting way to teach kids about like the importance of the balance of emotions, like you were talking about earlier. Um, like you know, in the last few years, like mental health has been really validated and a mainstream talking point, whether it's in sports or entertainment or just you know people just putting it to the forefront. And I thought this was a cool way to kind of put the spotlight on kids' emotions. Like even though kids don't know how to articulate everything, they know how to feel everything. They just might not know what it is. And when I was researching it more, I looked into you know why did they decide to make this movie? And it was Pete Doctor kind of realizing that his daughter, who was around the same age when this idea was. Kind coming um was no longer purely joyful like she was no longer just super smiley and happy and he wanted to know more about that and he said as well in an interview that you know some writers want to write about what they know like that's the general like rule of thumb like write what you know but Pete doctor wanted to write what he didn't know like write one he wanted to find an answer through the writing and so these animated movies they take a long time to make uh Generally, five years is the average, um, according to Pixar. And for three years of this movie, the story was not about joy versus sadness, but it was about joy versus fear. Because mm. when Doctor was thinking about his childhood, he was like, what was the dominant emotion during my like preteen teenagerdom? And it was fear. So for a while, they were writing about it, and it just was not working. So uh, there's a video, and Doctor like filmed himself going on a walk, and he was reflecting on what was meaningful and what relationships matter, and he realized it's the ones that you kind of go through some stuff with, like you go through the hard times with, and that essentially strengthens both those relationships and those emotions. And then he was like, oh, shit, it's not joy and fear, it's joy and sadness. So, you know, as they were kind of getting ahead with that story they ran into a couple problems one of them was joy was so unlikable and they kind of made her in early editions and you can like find versions of the early story like she was mean she was like like grossed out by certain kids she wasn't liking certain things and they were like oh this is not going to work how is she going to be how are we going to make joy the point of view character if she's not likable and so they softened it a bit and they decided the way to do that was to make sadness as annoying as possible. And by God, did they, they accomplish that. They did it. <laughs> they 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 did it. Um, and like the whole time, you just wanted to be like, come on, sadness. Like up and at him. <laughs> like we got we got some stuff to do. And, you know, who among us hasn't been in both positions? That's like what being human is. But we'll get there. Um, and then uh, the last thing on this point is that uh, Amy Poehler really helped create Joy's character a lot, um, softened it, added some of her Amy Poehler-ness to it, um, that charmingness, the the bubbliness that doesn't you know, turn people off as much. Um, so it was quite a journey to get to where we got with this movie, but um, that the whole dynamic between Joy and Sadness um, is what stood out. It, you know, Obviously, that's like the central relationship in the movie. I don't have much to say. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I also like how they stylized sadness as like generic emo kid in the 2010s. Yeah. And just like, I like sadness's sweater and just like. Yeah. Look very cozy. (laughs) Another thing that I really loved while watching this movie was I love the creation of like the world inside Riley's mind, whether it's things like the long-term memory bank or the train of thought or core memories or, Mm -hmm. um, the dream productions mm-hmm. uh, in my head 
as I was watching it, I was like, oh, that's how that works. Like it was a fucking documentary. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, wait, 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 wait. That's not, I don't have a control center, really. That's just called my brain. Um, Do you? <laughs> but I, 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 I love the world building of this movie. Yeah, me too. I thought also the, uh, and I wish we got more of it, but was the peek into other characters' brains. So we get to see the mom and dads. We see a teenage boys. We see a dog's. Um, the end credit sequence is hilarious. Um, I kind of wanted more of that. I, I sh- it was so it's so creative, and, and like of course Disney created this and created this whole internalized world. Um, kind of like the like this is such a dumb, sim- like comparison, but kind of like Osmosis Jones and like that whole <laughs> yeah situation. Great cartoon as well. Yeah, um, but I I loved that creativity aspect to it. No, it, it that's like one of my favorite scenes of the movie is when we like see the dad and the mom. And if you notice, like in Riley, the leading emotion is joy. But mm-hmm. in dad, the leading emotion is anger. And in mom, the leading emotion is sadness. And I'm like, I did notice that. No. I'm like, that's so heavy. I'm like, call your parents. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them you love them. <laughs> oh, my God. And the teenage boys is just chaos. Yeah, it's just like absolute mayhem. And like, it's so good. Yeah. So funny. It's so good. Um, I, re- I really love that. Do you, did you have a favorite like aspect to the world? I mean, we both kind of touched on it, but it's like it's all the little things like it's it's the. It's the jingle that gets stuck in your head and it's the train of thought and it's the dream sequences and it's the abstract thought sequences and uh, all that kind of stuff that it's like the side part of the plot, but it is so important. Yeah, or like the mind workers and them being like, do we need to remember this like equation? Nah. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's super duper funny. um, So I really appreciate it. And, And, you know, it's always the... The abstract thought sequence is fucking insane, which leads me to the other thing that stood out is this movie looks so great. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful film. Um, The animation is so creative. Uh, When I was listening to interviews, the team was like, how do we create this thing that is based on like nothing, you know, Um, is based on thoughts and emotions? Like, how do you visualize that? And that's why it's a lot of like primary colors. You can tell it it just all makes sense. It all rocks. I also, speaking of the world building to it as well, I loved whenever you see like the adult minds, whether it's like the teacher or the parents, is that you see the emotions are more like in tune with working with one another. Like it's all hands on deck Mm -hmm. as opposed to what we see with Riley in that struggle. And this is like something I thought about when I watched Soul. And this is why the abstract thought sequence where they get stuck there kind of stood out is I love that they got to manipulate the animation style for just a moment. Mm -hmm. And then in Soul, um, that's something that stood out a lot, which is another Pete Doctor written and directed movie. Um, And they really got creative with like three or four different kind of animation styles within that movie. Yeah, definitely like it looking amazing and like the the connection to Soul. But anything else you thought about a lot after you watched it? Our friendship. Uh, <laughs> Zach! I'm sorry. This is why I didn't include it in the outline. Ah! Tell me everything. Just to let listeners behind the curtain a little bit. Amanda and I became friends like in college and during, you know, freshman year of college is hard. And one of the things Amanda has helped me with the most as a friend is like validating my emotions, validating sadness in general and learning how to, you know, accept those things and become a better person and more in touch with your feelings anyway. Um, like feel your feels essentially so shout out to sadness 
so the movie came out in 2015. We're halfway through college. I have always been a really anxious person. It's like a, an emotion I have learned to figure out how to live with. But this was like about the time where like my depression kicked in for the first time in my life. And I was really having a hard time understanding what that was all about. And something I really love in this movie is something that's like so hard to express about having depression or having a depressive episode is that it's not that sadness has taken over your life. It's it's that both sadness and joy are gone. And there's just like an emptiness of like fear and like anger all the time. And it's it's easily they could have just made this movie like when she is sad, she is only sad. Right. But the fact that they're like, no, no, no. When she's like going through this really hard time and she feels really alone and she feels really confused and she doesn't know how to handle these things. It's not that sadness is the only emotion it said sadness isn't even there at all that would be really validating because then you could be like i know why i feel upset all the time because i'm sad (laughs) plainly as a person who struggles with depression and anxiety as well also shout out to therapists if you can afford therapy do it um therapy should be available um for anyone and everyone and we're big supporters of that but in experiencing depression like it isn't like you said like a general sadness it's a general like apathy or or nothingness when the I was really moved whenever Riley is on the bus and the controls start to go black because that's the thing that, you know, people who experience depression and depressive episodes really talk about is like things just start to look kind of gray and they lose their like saturation, which doesn't make sense. But like the brain is complex. And that's a part that I really appreciated. It was something that, you know, was really awesome that Disney decided to be like, hey, kids can experience this too. And this is what this looks like. It's not just sadness. It's like a lack of anything there when you're not feeling anything. When you're when it feels like your personality is starting to crumble, this is what it might look like internally. And I think that that scene is so crucial. And something I definitely took away this last rewatch is that it's the sadness that kicks in that lets her save herself. Right. Like when sadness takes over, it gives her a reason to like she she's emoting for the first time again and she like wants to get off the bus because she realizes like oh i'm upset not to like reference batman in a very emotional moment but like it's when at the end of season one in the famous carousel scene it's he talks about nostalgia and how it's a it's like it's a wound from something in the past and it's like that sadness which turns into nostalgia which like everyone loves to kind of like harken back onto the good old days and you know stuff like that but um just coming to terms with like this thing that was joyful you can miss it and that's okay because that means it was something that was meaningful in your life and it's something that you no longer have there with you like memories can i also love the message that memories can also turn and change like something that Mm -hmm. used to bring you joy or sadness can make you angry it can make you fearful something that used to disgust you can bring you joy um you know, mm-hmm. the old joke of like, oh, we'll laugh about this someday, you know, and the way that they showed like how these memories can change, I thought was really crucial. And to get back to the point, our friendship is one of the big uh, drivers of like me coming to my own emotional awakening and understanding. We love that. Shout out to that. Shout out to important friendships. Um, and so I thought that was like a obviously something that I thought about um, throughout the movie. It is. Just because I have been emotional my whole life doesn't mean I've always been, like, comfortable with being emotional my whole life. And as 
I wasn't a kid when this movie came out, but I was like 19 going through my like first big shift in emotions in a long time that felt uncontrollable and like unrecognizable. And this movie came out and I was like, <sighs> <laughs> well, and, and the other, <laughs> and the, and the other thing too is, uh, and, and this is something I thought about is it sucks when kids are like expected to carry these adult burdens of emotions, which is something that was really yeah. crucial in the movie. You know, the parents are struggling in their own right with this move. The dad's job kind of seems sketchy. The mom is trying to hold things together and they're looking to their daughter to be the happy girl that they've always known. And that kind of mm-hmm. accidentally invalidates her own emotions, which confuses the people in headquarters. And, you know, it happens a lot. It's easy as parents to like rely on this family unit and what you know your kid to be and then you know it almost takes a reminder of a kid being sad and crying to be like hey i'm not okay which is why sadness is so important to signal to the people that love and care about you that like i'm not doing well and that's okay that's the point of having friends who love you they will be there when you are sad yeah absolutely so what were some of the things that you looked up after you watched it so i texted my oldest sister who I mentioned earlier in the pod about how to train your dragon. He was about seven or eight whenever this movie came out. So I texted her and I was like, hey, did did my nephew like this movie? He did not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's because it's about emotions. My sister loved it. And so uh, take that as you will. Uh, I just thought that was kind of funny. But after that, I looked up, you know, where did this movie kind of fall in Pixar's run of movies? It was their 15th film. And uh, curiously, it was their first film in two years. Like usually there's not a break, but there was for this Hmm. one. Um, And I kind of think it was the best one since Toy Story 3 in terms of where the run was. They Disney was in like a little bit of a they they never go through a flop era, but they were coming, you know, some movies that weren't hitting like Cars 2, famously not everyone's favorite. Brave. Um seemed like it kind of underperformed monsters university which is a movie that i really liked and i saw in its premiere but another movie that did not really hit and then two years later um we get inside out and it it hit and like perhaps the peak of this will destroy you emotionally pixar movies like that's you know every disney movie kind of hits in a certain way especially when you're an adult at some point Um, but this one seems particularly like aimed at making you feel something because of course it's about emotions this is one of the few post 2010 disney pixar movies that still has like a plot to tell you in addition to like we're just trying to make all the adults who took their children to this movie cry like i'm not sure if like onward has much to say other than like we want all the parents to cry. Some people felt that way about Soul as well, where they're like, this movie has like a lot going on, but it's like kind of manipulative of like, we're going to make you have an existential crisis, but your kids aren't going to understand it. And it's sort of like, had this. I think this is like the first movie where they're like, are they making movies for kids or to make adults cry? Like what's happening? Right. Which is like super interesting in terms of, you know, you think about the first Pixar movie comes out in 95 is Toy Story. And so, you know, you watch a movie as a kid if you're in 95 and by the time Inside Out comes out, you're a full-fledged adult, probably. And so that's, I, I feel like most Disney movies and probably animated movies as a whole, they try to aim at two audiences. They know the parents are going to be there too. So sometimes there's the joke like, oh, this is for the parents. But 
Mm -hmm. Uh, Inside Out has a particularly good way of balancing those two aims. Like, all right, this is going to be emotional complexity in here, but also there's a character named Bing Bong. Bing Bong, Bing Bong. (laughs) Kind of creeped me out at first, honestly. (laughs) I don't blame you. (laughs) And then another thing I looked up was just Pete Docter's career. He's the chief creative officer at Pixar now. This movie was his third time as a director, but... Uh, he had been with the company since the jump. He was its third animator after he graduated from Cal Arts in 1990. Um, and he talked about one of the influences um, in his career is the movie Paper Moon. Shout out to Peter Bogdanovich. Um, he became the head of the studio two years after this um, in 2017. He was kind of being molded as the successor, but after some controversy um, and the chief head uh, leaving the job, he took the role. And I was reading this really great story um, by Rebecca Keegan in Hollywood Reporter. It was about Pete Doctor filling in the role and how he was doing and who this guy was, basically. And one of the quotes was, you cut Pete open and inside is a ride from Disneyland and a scene from Lady and the Tramp. Um, and that was Andrew Stanton who said that. Uh, this guy is just loves animation and Disney to the core. And uh, I thought it was an interesting point of his um, career. Like this, this wins him an Oscar. Speaking of the Oscars, uh, oh, this was the 2016 Oscars and it was the Oscars that Chris Rock hosted. All right, we're moving on. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so this was also the Oscars uh, that prompted the Academy to be like, oh, we should kind of add members to the Academy, diversify the membership, which has had positive effects since then. In terms of Inside Out, this movie was nominated for Best Animated and Best Original Screenplay. It won for Animated, obviously. The other um, movies in that category were Anomalisa, shout out to Charlie Kaufman, uh, Boy in the World, Sean and the Sheep, and when Marnie was there. Um, it did not win Best Original Screenplay. It lost to Spotlight. Shout out to Journalism. Shout out to Spotlight. But yeah, so like well-received. Who knew? Everybody. <laughs> Everyone knew. <laughs> we had a couple prompts here. We had a couple questions. So what uh, questions, what other questions do you have about this movie? Got to do it. What's your Pixar top five? All right. Let's go five to one. Um, This is a little bit of a cheat. My five is a tie between, (laughs) (laughs) again, I'm in my peak Mallory Rubin. Um, My five is a tie between Ratatouille and A Bug's Life. There, I am like in the firm belief that you were either a Toy Story kid or a Bug's Life kid. And I was a Bug's Life kid. Hey, I'm a beautiful butterfly too. I think the, I think Toy Story totally fine bugs life i probably like watched that vhs till it was like hot like i want <laughs> i love that movie and then mm-hmm. ratatouille if you haven't seen it recently i rewatched it in the height of the pandemic movie oh, fucking yeah. rips it's so good um number four is monsters inc uh three is wally two inside out and number one is like maybe my second favorite animated movie after lilo and stitch is finding nemo you're just a girl who loves the ocean I am a water sign. (laughs) I love Um, water and emotions. (laughs) Inside Out number two. Wow. I really love this movie. Yeah. Um, It's really good. There's a lot of other Pixar movies I like. You're going to name a few of them, but I just, this movie hit in a way that most general, most movies don't, let Mm -hmm. alone most animated movies, let alone most animated movies that are directed for children. What are your top five? All right. So my um, real quick honorable mention, I feel like I watched Cars a lot. I don't know why. Ka-chow. Good movie. Anyway, so my number five, Wally. Nothing more to say there. Beautiful movie. Number four, Coco. 
another one that will destroy you, but it's so beautiful. Number three, Finding Nemo. Love the ocean. Love Australia. Even though I'm no longer in school, I used to love tweeting the gif of Nemo being like, first day of school, first day of school. It's um, so Number good. two is Toy Story. And number one, The Incredibles. Like We love family dramas and we love superhero stories. And then my last question I had was, thoughts on broccoli on pizza? Um, I'm not pro broccoli on pizza. I am pro broccoli and I am pro yeah. pizza. Um, but as a an honorary part-time resident of San Francisco for a couple of years, that seems right. Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> seems like something someone in Berkeley would have offered me. <laughs> you know, this makes me think about uh, our beloved Welcome Diner in downtown Phoenix mm-hmm. and the peanut butter bacon burger. And it's like one of those things that's so weird that you just have to trust is good. But I, I don't know. I'm I don't sure. know. That one's tough. Yeah. Skeptical. Um, maybe some like charred broccoli with like like yeah. other stuff i'll take it but but I granted wouldn't. as an 11 year old i also didn't like broccoli i didn't eat vegetables until like four years ago i had doctor parents i didn't i'm hawaiian like uh, if you get a plate <laughs> lunch it's like rice meat and then for salad you have macaroni i was gonna say carbs <laughs> <laughs> granted hawaii lots of great fruit can't wait to eat it um, absolutely incredible did you have any questions or comments for me So this was a little assignment I gave both of us. This is Uh, super fun. Thank you. Um, So I want you to go first, I think. Okay. Um, Who are the voices in your head? Who would you cast in your version of Inside Out? So you're going to give me someone to represent joy, fear, disgust, sadness, and anger. And and for me, I I don't know if this was true for you. I tried to like match what those emotions probably sounded like in my head as I was was narrating it to myself. Yes. This is like a lot of this has to do with like voice acting. Okay. So for anger, I chose Madeline Kahn specifically for her performance in Clue where she's like flames on the side of my face. Um, I love that movie. (laughs) Cause I feel like when I'm angry, I just get, I don't, I don't get high pitched, but I just, it just feels like I'm up there and there are flames on the side of my face. Um, so just wanted to do that. Uh, for fear, I have Tom Holland. It's really <laughs> cute. I almost did Tom Holland for joy. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like um, my fear needed to be British. I don't know if that is because I'm a soccer fan. His chaotic energy and the general nervousness that he shares on Marvel press tours, I feel like is uh, what fear sounds like in my head. Mr. Stark, I also don't feel so good. Speaking of not feeling good, disgust, I have Tally the Creator. Fuck, fuck yeah. <laughs> because of his general, like, and and baritone, like, nah, no, absolutely yeah. not. Tyler the Creator probably narrates a lot of different kind of emotions for a lot of different people, uh, including but not limited to goblin-related things. I love that. It's such a good choice. For sadness, I have Lakeith Stanfield. When I get low, I also kind of mumble and talk in a low, mumbly voice. All you got to do is watch the uh, Teddy Perkins episode of Atlanta. I just feel like that is the voice of sadness in my head. There you go. And for joy, I almost put Florence Pugh here, but uh, because Florence Pugh is the love of my life, I instead picked Dwayne The Rock Johnson, a known voice actor. Um, It's about drive. It's about power. It's about desire. Uh, and I just feel like The Rock would be the one who is trying to get me to get up, get to the gym, get 
to enjoy my cheat days. He's got that crazy big smile on his face too. He he also loves to embrace his like Pacific Islander and Hawaiian heritage. Um, and I just I'm right there with you, Rock, <laughs> my guy. I love it. Can't wait for Black Adam. Um, who is your voice cast? All right, so I will also start with anger. Um, because I am Italian American, the anger in my head is also Italian American. Um, <laughs> to which you'll be going to James Gandolfini. For anyone who doesn't know, Tony Soprano. It's like a frustration of emotion. That's his anger, and like I feel that. Um, my sadness is not necessarily like how I feel particularly, but I just think it would make a really great voice for sadness is Dan Mintz and he voices <laughs> Tina Belcher in Bob's Burgers and I think that's perfect. <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> Tina like also laying on the ground and being dragged away by <laughs> Joy. That's fair. Yep. yep. I, <laughs> I love it. Um, disgust. I went with uh, the skeleton queen herself, Phoebe Bridgers. Um, if you are a fan of hers and you've not heard her speak, it's very different than her singing voice. She's a really light and airy singing voice, and she has a very cool, like, monotone, low voice in speaking. And I think that she could be like, no, I'm like, I'm like way too cool for whatever you're trying to do right mm-hmm. there. I'm not, I'm not into that. That's, <laughs> that's not for me. Like, that's like how I see Phoebe. And I think yeah. that would be really good discussed. For fear, I went full on movie. I think just like you did, um, and I went Shelley Duvall. And Ooh. if you don't know, she uh, is the the wife in The Shining, and like just the like I was thinking like Scream Queens for, yeah, for yeah, fear, yeah. and even like the tone in her voice when you are not looking at her, like she's like shaking all the time. <laughs> Like her voice is shaking. It's like Jack, what are you, what are you doing out there? <laughs> like that's like how it fear feels like. And she's just like so upset. Um, and then Joy is mm-hmm. Beanie Feldstein. I think like even if you couldn't look at her, and she just like is joyful. Even if you can look at her, like her voice is so joyful. It's so bubbly. It's so happy. It's so bright side of the room. Like. I just, I think Beanie is the best, and I think she would make a really good joy. Love of your life, Beanie Feldstein. Did you have any that like were were close, like you almost chose someone different? Uh, yeah, for sadness, I almost picked Paul Mescal, um, oh. who is Connell in Normal People. But then I felt really weird about Phoebe Bridgers and her <laughs> boyfriend both being in my head, even though it's a fictional exercise about a fictional I mean, movie. They also live in my head run free. Yeah, they absolutely do. But like he I I think that like he his acting in normal people is one of the best portrayals of like overwhelming sadness. Um mm-hmm. that's like been on any sort of screen. Uh that was my that was the one that I had to like figure out. But I feel I feel really solid about uh Tina Belcher. <laughs> Yeah, my my two close cuts were I almost had Philip Seymour Hoffman as anger. I um, almost did too. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> I just his like explosiveness, but general calm is how I feel like my two sides of anger are. And then the other close one I had was for fear. 
Um, I almost picked Jodie Comer. I don't know why I was just really set on my fear being British, but I thought about how fun it would be for my um, scouse queen Jodie Comer to be in my head, but uh, decided against it. Another good one for Joy would be um, Jason Sudeikis, especially in his Ted Lasso era. I think that would be really nice. (laughs) Obviously, we talked about how good the voice acting is that they chose, but one of the ones that I thought was absolutely perfect is Bill Hader playing Fear. Yeah. And not only because like Bill Hader is also sort of like a wiry, wily guy, but also like he is so open about like the anxiety he was feeling on SNL and how much he like actually hated being on SNL because he had so much anxiety and so much fear. And he was like, I just like blacked out every single time I was on stage. And I love that like he plays like fear. I think that's like such a, instead of like comedy or like funny, like he just is like so good at playing fear. I think that's really smart. It was an inspired choice. Yeah. Sorry to take you on such a journey, but also sorry, (laughs) not sorry. I think this is one of the most important movies That has been made in a long time, let alone an important movie for children. Everyone should sit with their emotions every so often. I think it's good for your brain. Um, Would you watch this movie again? Maybe if I need a good cry. It's really good. It's really good for that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll put that in the in the bank for 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 those moments. But um, I do think uh, you know I'm happy I watched this movie for obvious reasons. Like we said, emotions are important. Mental health is important and validating those things are important. And it is perhaps one of the most important Pixar movies because of that. So I'm glad that is no longer in my blind spot. Yay. All right. We did it. Animation is done. Animation. Real quick, which movie did you like the most out of the two? They're so good. I'm, I do this cheat every time, but, um, I really loved how to train your dragon, but I have to pick inside out. (laughs) That's fair. I um, will probably watch How to Train Your Dragon more, but I think I liked Inside Out better. A win! <laughs> Woo! I sobbed. Like, what am I going to do? Like, so good. It's so emotional. Um, why don't you tell the people what our next movies are? For our next movies, we're picking some, like, dog days of summer. We just need something, like, fun and kooky. The kids are outside. And you're like, what are those crazy teens up to? Um, so the movies we're picking are under the theme of high school crime. And I am making Zach watch Heathers for his first time. And I am watching Juice for my first time. So Zach, what do you know about Heathers? Absolutely nothing. I have no idea who's in it. Fuck yeah. Except for, um, is Christian Slater in it? Yes. Okay, I, and I don't even really, I don't think I've seen a movie with Christian Slater in it, so um, no, I know nothing. Um, do you know anything about Juice? That's awesome. I love that you know nothing. Um, I know that Tupac is in Juice. Yes. That's it. <laughs> I'm so excited for you. I didn't even know that it was about high schoolers. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Um, it's not the first thing that comes to mind. I can't wait to make a certain comparison um, to you in our podcast, so really excited for that. I'm really excited um, that I will make a promise to you right now. I will only make one mention of Heather's The Musical. Um, I I haven't (laughs) seen it, so I shouldn't talk about it that much. I'll probably just mention it became a hit musical. (laughs) You know what? I I 
I think we can trust you on those promises because you didn't really bring up cats again after saying this is your last cat comment in our how to train your dragon discussion, which I was shocked by. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So those are the movies that are going to be our movie homework. That's going to be our June edition of Blind Spotters. But besides that, what else is on your watch list? So I need to get back to the theater, like fucking ASAP. There are so many good movies in the theaters that I want to be able to see. I'm like trying to say no to plans, which is like my horcrux. I'm so fucking bad at it. Um, But I need to start saying no to plans so I can go see some movies in the theaters. But before I get to that, uh, I want to see Turning Red. It's the newest Disney Pixar movie. Our really good friend Maya absolutely adored it. It's getting only amazing reviews. Um, And, you know, as we uh, noted today, we love an animated film that's really good. So uh, that is really high on my to watch list. Love that. Shout out to Maya. Shout out to Maya. What's on yours? So also turning red. um, And then tomorrow I'll be seeing uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is a movie we mentioned on our uh, Oscars preview pod. Can't wait to see it. Shout out to Asian women at the center of stories. Shout out to Michelle Yeoh. And then um, also want to watch Tootsie, a classic comedy um, featuring Dustin Hoffman. And uh, just really want to, can't wait to watch it. Can't wait to dive in to find out what Elaine May switched about the script and how she doctored it. Shout out to the goat, Elaine May. Um, and then, and then yeah, like I said, turning red. So uh, summer's coming. The summer blockbusters are coming, so we'll have a lot of fun stuff. Top Gun is coming in like two weeks after this pod. Oh my fucking god! We will have seen uh, uh, Doctor Strange. Oh yeah, that'll that's coming. That's exciting. I'm excited for Top Gun. Also, I, I've come to bargain. Dormammu. <laughs> Dormammu. <laughs> Dormammu. Oh, All right, guys. Benedict. We could do this forever. <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening. Honestly. Thank you so much for a whole year of listening to us. This is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Zach and I have been talking about movies just like, again, into the ether at each other for a long time. And we're so happy that a handful of you even bothered to like, listen, I, it's so fun and cool. And we've always wanted a platform to do this. So we're one year in. It's very exciting. You can always find a new episode of Blind Spotters on the second Tuesday of every month. Um, maybe we'll throw in a few summertime bonus pods, send us some ideas, anything you want us to talk about, um, anything you think is, uh, interesting or fun or important. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at blind spotters pod. You can also find us on Twitter at blind spotters. Um, Zach, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Zach Pocklib or as always on letterboxd Amanda, where can people find you? You can send me any compliments or whatever you're feeling at the current moment at Amanda Luberto on all social media. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You ready to get out of here, friend? Let's do it. Thank you guys again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll get a bingo sheet out for you. We It's time. We got to do like a Blind Spiders bingo. A bing bongo sheet. A bing bongo sheet. Bing bong, bing bong. Okay. <laughs> you doing the bing bong is like the chest thumping in Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Are you like are you like getting like chills? You're like, I hate this so much. This is kind of uncomfortable, yeah. <laughs> All right. Now we're even. We'll we'll stop. We'll cut it out. All um, right. Christ. Bye. Toothless. <laughs> Toothless. So cute. <laughs>